good morning and a greetings in the name of Jesus. The passage that we read here in Ephesians 6, we'll get to that more toward the end of the end of our time here this morning, but I've entitled the message this morning, Spiritual Powers. The last time I was thinking we had pretty much wrapped up uh, studying Daniel, but as I read Daniel chapter 10 a little bit more, I thought there was a few things in there that, there's a few, a few verses in there that really caught my attention, and as I studied into it a little bit, it was, it was difficult, but I think it's something that, that is in, really important for us as Christians to think about and to, to study. In, in Daniel chapter 10, there's a few verses there that give us a glimpse of, of a spiritual conflict that takes place. A conflict between between the angels, and we'll be we'll be turning there and, and reading some of those verses in a little bit. But as we think about as we think about angels, as we think about the spirit world, you know, there's many people today that believe, or they would like to believe, that there are. I'll say it this way, there's many scientists, there's many people that do a lot of research into, into space and into the planets and things like that, and they're, they're convinced that there's life elsewhere. They're convinced that there's aliens that inhabit space and, you know, someday they might come to the earth and overtake it and all, all kinds of ideas they come up with. Now, we as Christians don't believe in, in aliens and you know, things like that, that, that there's life, you know, on the planets and things like other planets. But, you know, there is, I believe there is more to, there is more to, would we say, life than what we see as, as humans interacting with each other. There is a spirit world. There is, there are powers that are there. And the Bible has a lot to say about, about angels and, and their work. And most of the time, we can't see them. Most of the time, their work is invisible. Many times, I believe, their protection, their powers can be felt. But I just want to just go through quite, we'll be turning to quite a few Bible verses this morning, quite a few different scriptures that talk about angels, that talk about the things that angels do. We want to look into some of the things that took place there in Daniel chapter 10 and then finish up with Ephesians 6 here with uh, the provisions that God has made for us to stay strong. Angels, I believe, can be... There's good angels, there's bad angels. They can be either for us or against us. And as we go through these verses here in the Bible, we see that angels communicate with man. And I believe they have also existed before the creation of the world as we see it. The word angel in both the Greek and the Hebrew definition just simply means messenger or one who is sent. I believe as we go through this, we can see that that's, that's exactly what they do. They are messengers. They are usually sent by God to perform numerous tasks. First passage I want to turn to is just a few verses in Hebrews chapter 1. I think it's important that we understand that 
although angels are, I believe, an important part of God's creation, an important part of God's plan, Hebrews 1 makes it clear here that our salvation comes through Jesus and God is the one who is to be worshipped. There are there have been people in the past, there have been beliefs in the past, and, and there has been worshiping of angels, which I think is, is not correct. I think it's important that we focus, have our focus on God. And these few verses here in Hebrews, I think, just clarify that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 says, Being made so much better, this is talking about Jesus here, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And then verse 13 and 14, yeah, in Hebrews chapter 1, says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies my, thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So it makes it clear here that the angels are there to worship God. They're there to be his ministers. They're sent forth to minister. They're sent forth as ministering spirits. Another interesting thing about angels in the Bible, it, and I'm not sure if there's any significance to this or not, but all the, all the appearances of angels in the Bible, they, they have always been men. I don't think we ever read of an angel as being a child or as being, as being women, and I'm not sure what the, what the reason is for that. Just just seems that they have always been men when they have made their appearances in the Bible. And I've also wondered how, how did Moses, how did people like Moses and Solomon, when they, Moses designed or built the tabernacle, Solomon built the temple, there was many, they had many engravings and, and pictures of, of cherubims, which I think is, sometimes it's used interchangeably with, with angels. There may be some differences there, but, you know, did, did, Moses, did Moses see this? Did God tell him what they looked like? They've made, if you remember the description of the, the mercy seat, it had a cherubim on each side with their wings covering the seat. And I've wondered if that's where we get the idea of these of angels flying around with wings. You know, I think most of the time when people have experiences with angels, they're usually not flying around with their wings. But I wonder if we get some of those ideas from, from Moses, from Solomon, some of the things in the tabernacle and the temple. Either way, it's, I think it's, uh, I believe God directed those men in how to, how to make those, those things at that time. The word angel is used 192 times in the King James Version, and the plural form, angels, is used 94 times, and the word cherubims is used 57 times. So we have a total of 343 times that there's verses that refer to that refer to these ministering spirits that God, that God uses. So it's something that is, I believe, very, something that is very active in, in God's plan.
And I had to ask myself the question, so God is, God is all-powerful. We say God is present everywhere. He has all the power. He has all the wisdom. And yet he has these ministering spirits. He has these angels that he sends out to his people. And he tells us also that even the angels were created to bring glory to God. And I believe, I believe there's many times that people have had encounters with angels that it has just made the experience or the, the lesson just really real, really true. Something that, you know, without that, maybe physical presence would not have been quite as powerful. And I believe that's probably why God uses angels at times. So several tasks that we see angels perform throughout the Bible. Uh, first of all is they deliver messages from God to man, which we saw quite a bit as we studied through Daniel. There was numerous times that, that an angel came and spoke to Daniel and gave him a message from God. We also have the account when the three men came to Abraham and told him what would happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. And there it just seemed like three, probably not quite ordinary men, but they, they, he prepared, Abraham there prepared food for them. And they, they stayed with him there. They went down into the city then and talked to Lot. Lot invited them into his house and they stayed the night. It tells us there that they were messengers of God, probably angels that God sent to send the message. Mary, the mother of Jesus, also had an experience with an angel. The angel came to her and, and told her that she would be the mother of Jesus, told her that she would have a son, that he would be the savior of the world. And there's, there's many others that, throughout the Bible where angels came and delivered messages. I believe another task we see them performing is encouraging and ministering to people in need. Just turn to one of those, First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. We'll begin reading verse 3. This is, this is when Elijah is fleeing for his life. Ahab had told Jezebel what Elijah, what took place there on the mountain, and that the prophets were slain. So Elijah is now running for his life. In verse 3 it says, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, the angel touched him, then an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruse of water at his head. He did eat and drink and laid him down again. The angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. So here we have an angel ministering to Elijah telling him that he needs to eat and drink because his journey is too great. We're also told that after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness that the angels came and ministered to him. They came and I believe 
offered him encouragement for what he was going through. Another, another uh, task that we see angels doing is, is in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 20. Shows, according to this verse here, we, we see that angels oppose the work of Satan, or they fight against the work of Satan and his angels. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 20, he says, I want, this is the angel talking to Daniel, I will now return to fight with the prince of Persia. So we see, and as, as we'll look into this a little bit more, but I believe the prince of Persia was, was another angel there. So we see this angel was, was there to fight against those powers. Many of us probably have grown up believing or understanding at least a little bit about angels. I mean, we've heard the, the story of the birth of Jesus when the angels were singing, and we've probably never really doubted the existence of angels, but there were a group of people in, during the early church that, that had a hard time just believing in the existence of angels and there was a teaching that you know angels didn't really exist and I, I wonder sometimes if that's why we have so many so many references referring to to these to the angels Jesus taught about it Paul taught about it and many other many other Bible characters the first time that we find the word angel used in the Bible is is in Genesis chapter 16 this is when the angel came and ministered to Hagar after Sarah had mistreated her and, and uh, made her leave. It tells us there in verse 7 of Genesis 16 that the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And it goes on there, the angel gave her direction on, on what to do next and where to go. But that's the first, the first account we have of, of angels interacting with with man or with with a woman here I believe there's also many modern would we say modern day stories or many current stories of people that have seen angels or been helped by angels one verse that one verse that really caught my attention as I was as I was studying this is in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 it says be not be not forgetful to entertain strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I had just, there was one evening this week, I'm not exactly sure anymore which evening it was, but was out front in the driveway there with the children, and there's a, a man walking down the road pushing his bicycle. It was one of those bikes with a battery on it, you know, that can cruise right along, and he's, he's pushing it. And he was walking on the opposite side of the road of our house, from our house, but as he was coming closer, he crossed the road and, and came in our driveway there. And I was, he looked a little, not, not too bad, but you know, the longer hair and just not quite, it was an older fellow and I was just kind of wondering, you know, what he's up to. And he said he has a flat tire. He wondered if I have a, a patch or something I could put in his tire to, to fix his flat. Well, I, I told him I don't have anything like that, but Told him I have an air compressor, I could put some air in. Well, he said the leak is, it's getting worse, but you know, that would get him, that would probably get him at least down to the gas station. 
So I fire up my air compressor and we put some air in for him and he chatted a little more and was on his way. And the next morning as I was, as I was studying, I came across this verse in Hebrews 13. Now I, I, don't believe he was, I don't believe he was an angel, but you know, there, there are stories of people like that, that, that come along. And I, I think it's important that as we, as we see strangers, as we see people in need, that this verse tells us, be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I also read a story of, of a traveling pastor. He would travel from commun- from, to different communities. And he had, to, he had a fairly long drive through the night one time to meet his appointment the next day. And as he, as he started out that night, he was, he was tired and he was wishing for someone to travel with him. And about that soon, it was raining, and about that soon he saw a hitchhiker. So he, he stopped, and the fellow jumped in, and he soon realized that this man would probably travel with him most of the night. He wanted to go, you know, a, a, good, a good ways, the same direction. So as they talked, as, he, as they traveled the next few hours, they he discovered that this, this hitchhiker, this man, was also a, a Christian, and after a while, he says, all right, they're, you know, just up ahead is where he needs to get off. So as they pulled off, there was a small restaurant there, and the pastor invited him in for, for coffee before he goes on his way. So they spent a little time there, and the pastor was on his way. Then he happened to think about that he didn't ask him for his, any contact information. So he turned around to go back, and he assumed the fellow would still be there. He went back in the restaurant, and there was nobody there, so he asked the lady behind the counter, where this where this man went and she said what man well he said he had a he had a friend with him when he came in there and she said well I wondered why you bought two cups of coffee she said you were by yourself and he turned around to look at the table where he was where they had sat and the other cup of coffee was still on the table completely full so at that point he realized he was traveling with an angel all night he got back in his car and heads on down the road quite encouraged by this and and as he kept thinking about this he picked the man up when it was raining but the man wasn't wet when he got in you know there was there was just different things that that he kept thinking about it his experience through the night you know God answered his prayer by sending someone to travel with him but if he would have not been careful to entertain a stranger he would have missed this experience Just, just a, to me, that's just a powerful reminder that, you know, if we see people in need, if we, I believe God puts those experiences in front of us sometimes, or puts those opportunities in front of us, just to see what we, to see what we do with it. And if, you know, if we respond in the way God wants, it's a, it's a really big blessing. So then we might wonder or ask the question, you know, where did where did angels originate? I believe angels were created by God. Colossians 1 verse 16 says, For by him were all things created. I believe God is the only eternal being, but says God created all things. Angels were not formerly man. I don't believe man become angels, although it says that at the resurrection we will be as the angels of God in heaven. 
But I do not believe that man actually become angels. I believe angels were created as angels. It tells us in Job 38 that all the sons of God, referring to the angels, shouted for joy at the creation of the earth. So I believe angels were present there. There's also several verses in Psalm 148. I'd just like to read. Psalm 148, verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Verse 2, praise ye him all his angels, praise ye him all his hosts. Goes on, praises, praise ye him sun, moon, praise him all ye stars of light. Praise him, verse 5, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. There again, it, it has angels in that list it says he commanded that they were created gives the idea that God created angels as well and that he created them for his praise to bring praise and glory to him all of God's creation I believe was originally designed to bring glory to their creator Revelation 4 verse 11 says thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I'd mentioned earlier that there are angels that are both, and so far we've been talking about experiences with, with good angels, I believe, angels that are God's ministers. But it's also obvious in the Bible that there are angels that are we say maybe the devil's ministers or working for the devil and we have the account in the Bible where of the fall of the uh, the fall of some of the angels I believe all angels were created sinless and we have the account where Lucifer wanted to be like the Most High I believe because of his pride he led a rebellion against God Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15 gives us a little gives us a little insight into maybe what was behind Lucifer's motive here. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground, which did waken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Five times in those verses he says, I will. And yet we see in other passages that the angels were created to be ministers for God. They were created to be his messengers. But he says, Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above God, above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. So we see a lot of pride and arrogance here. Then we have the passage in Ezekiel that, that gives some definition on, some more clarity, I believe, on how this took place. Ezekiel chapter 28.
Ezekiel here was, was making a comparison, I believe, to the, the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre here was, was very proud and, and not willing to, to humble himself. So he, Ezekiel was making a lot of comparisons between, between this king and between Lucifer. But I believe it's, I believe it's quite clear that he's referring to, referring to Lucifer here in these several verses. In Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 17, he says, Thou hast been in, the, in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the oinx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee, in the day that thou wast created. So there again, just referring to a lot of beauty that was in this, was a lot of beauty that Lucifer had in the day that he was created. Verse 14 says, Thou art anointed, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in the ways from the day thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. In verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore will I cast thee as a profane out of the mountain of God, and will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. In verse 17, he gives the reason. He said, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So we see a lot of, a lot of pride coming forth there again just wanting to be like God, wanting to, wanting to take the place of God. And it was because of, it was because of that that he, was, that he led this rebellion against God, which I believe is, 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 is a little vague sometimes in the Bible exactly how some of those things took place, but we do have an account in Revelation chapter 12 that I believe is, is very interesting. It talks about him being cast out of heaven and, and about Lucifer or the devil being cast out of heaven and his angels going with him. Revelation chapter 12. We're not going to read the entire passage there, but I believe this is also a maybe the, the spiritual world, the spiritual side of the account of the birth of Jesus. You know, many times when we read the story of Jesus' birth, we, there's this small peaceful town in Bethlehem. It's through the night. Everything's quiet. There's a baby born. He's laid in the manger. The angels tell the shepherds. The shepherds come. You know, everything is just really peaceful. But according to, he, according to Revelation chapter 12, there was a lot of other things going on, what do we say, behind the scenes or in the spiritual world that I believe... I believe shed a little bit of light into, into why the devil is so determined to destroy us today. Revelation chapter 12. I'm just going to read several verses here. And just keep in mind that I believe this is referring to the birth of Jesus. There's, there's other applications that can be made here. But it says in verse 1, And there, there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. 
And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And we think a little bit about the enemies of Jesus when he was born. You know, it wasn't long after Jesus was born that Herod wanted to destroy him. And throughout his time on this earth, there was, especially during the time of his ministry, you know, again and again they tried to destroy him. The devil tried to destroy him. And it was because I believe the devil knew that Jesus was coming to defeat him. Jesus was coming to to save the world from sin and to just completely defeat the devil. So it says he was there, standing there, ready to devour her child as soon as it was born. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And then in verse 7 it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Verse 8, it tells us that the dragon prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And verse 10 is, is a very sobering verse. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven, saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the great power of his Christ. For, his, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Sorry, verse 12 is the one I was wondering there. It says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So after this, according to this passage here, after this battle in heaven, the devil was cast to the earth, and he knows he has but a short time to turn people away from God because the Savior of the world is now here. And the verse there that as, as, I, was, as I was thinking about some of these things and, and studying into this the, I had to think of the account in Job where God met it says that God, the sons of God came to present themselves before God, and Satan also came among them. It would seem like Satan had direct contact with God at that point, and God said, Has thou considered my servant Job? And we know the account there that Satan said yes, but it's because you're protecting him. And then he goes and destroys a lot of Job's things, and in chapter 2 he comes back, the sons of God come again before God, and, and Satan is again with them. There's many, there's many people, many Bible scholars will believe that Satan is no longer able to come into that presence of God because of this passage here. He has been cast out of heaven. He is no longer there. He's no longer able to accuse us before God as he did for Job. But whether he is or not, I believe the devil, according to verse 12, is very angry. He lost that battle. He realizes that he lost. And he realizes he has a short time. And he will do 
he will do everything he can to destroy anything that points to God. We see that was his, that was Lucifer, that was his goal there, his pride, his becoming above God. I believe he is still working against God as much as possible. It says there was his, his angels were also cast out with him. I believe Satan, the angels who fell there became, became Satan's demons. The, we read in the Bible of many demon possessions, and it's believed that a lot of those, a lot of those were, the, were the angels that fell with Satan. It tells us in 2 Peter 2, verse 4, that some were cast into hell and are reserved there until the day of judgment. I believe some were left free to oppose the work of God and his angels. If we go now to Daniel chapter 9 again, sorry, Daniel chapter 10, I believe this is an account of, of some of those angels that are opposing the work of God or opposing God's angels. So just a few interesting things here in Daniel chapter 10. In verse 2, says that Daniel was mourning for three full weeks. And this is, this is a repeat again of, of one of Daniel's other visions. The time he, was, he spent praying and, and fasting, he was praying for three weeks for an answer from God. And then we go to verse 12. And the angel came to him. And, he, and then verse 12, it's the angels talking. He said, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I, and I am come for thy words. So he tells Daniel that your prayers were heard from the first day, three weeks ago when you started praying, your words have been heard. And I'm come now because you were praying. Verse 12, sorry, verse 13. He says, but the prince of the king of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. So there we have our three weeks. It, sounds, it seems like there was a battle between these two angels for three weeks. It says, he withstood me for three weeks. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. So I'm not... I don't claim to understand everything that was going on here in these verses, but it seems like Daniel started praying. God sent an angel. But I believe the devil also had an angel there that was trying to withstand him, was trying to hinder this, was trying to keep this from happening. But God sends Michael, God sends another angel, says one of the chief princes, and he came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. Verse 14, now I'm come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in all the latter days, for yet the vision is many days. So then he goes on and, and, and told Daniel what, what would take place and the many different prophecies that came from that. We move on to verse 20 and 21. This is the angel speaking again. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I am come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the, king, with the prince of Persia. So he, he had more things to do. There was, there was still a battle going on here. He says, And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that withholdeth me in these things, but Michael, your prince. I think he was just 
assuring Daniel that he will not be left alone, but God has his messengers there. God has his angels there for him. You know, the, the spirit world is, is real. It is powerful. As I mentioned before, the devil, I believe, is trying to hinder all things that point to God. I believe the devil tries to hinder our prayers today. I believe the devil tries to hinder our church, our family. Anything that has, anything that has something that points to God, I believe the devil is trying to hinder. As we look at society around us, the way that the way that families are, are torn apart, the way that the family is literally being destroyed with all the with all the homosexual, the transgender, and things like that. I believe that is clearly the work of the devil, just trying to destroy anything that points to God. So in closing, I'd like to turn again to Ephesians chapter 6. Sometimes it, might, it may sound a little a little scary this this spiritual power this darkness this these things that are against us but according to Ephesians chapter 6 God has given us everything we need to be strong God has given us everything we need to withstand the devil to stand against these things Paul encourages in verse 10 finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might you know the the power is there it is it is ours to claim it is ours to take a hold of I'm just going to rather quickly go through some of this this armor here it it tells us that the battle is spiritual we're not we're not wrestling against flesh flesh and blood we're not rest we're not wrestling against against man here and I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as well. I believe that's another tactic that the devil uses. He likes, he likes to get us against each other. He likes, to, he likes us to kind of fight and quarrel among ourselves because that keeps us away from what God really wants us to do. But Paul reminds us here that that's, that's not where we're fighting. What we're fighting is, is, he says, principalities. It's against powers, against the rulers of the darkness, against spiritual wickedness. He says, take unto you the whole armor of God. First of all, he says, take unto you truth. Have your loins girt about with truth. John 8, verse 32 says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the next one is the breastplate of righteousness. Philippians 3, verse 9 says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So if we, if we take hold of God's truth and we, we have his righteousness through faith in God, and then he talks about the gospel of peace, having our feet shod with the gospel of peace. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth. Just the, the power in, in the gospel, the power in God's plan for salvation. And then we have the helmet of salvation, just the, the protection we receive through because of the salvation of Jesus. 
And the next one is the sword of the spirit or God's word. And that is one that I believe is, is very powerful. It's more of an offensive weapon here. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Do we use our Bibles enough? Do we use this sword enough? I believe God has given us everything in his word that we need to fight against the devil and his angels, to fight against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against this spiritual wickedness. We just need to claim it. We need to, as we heard in the devotions this morning, to take up our cross, to follow Jesus. If we try to do it on our own, if we try to as David mentioned this morning, live half of my life for God and half for myself. It doesn't work. He, we need to deny everything. We need to take on his armor. And it is through that that we can have victory, even here on this earth. In verse 18 here in Ephesians 6, I believe is also very important. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I think that verse just is maybe a little clearer to me since in studying it with Daniel chapter 10. You know, sometimes it seems like maybe our prayers are not being heard. And I believe Daniel probably felt that way. For three weeks he was fasting and praying. His prayer was, his prayer was heard, but the devil, I believe, was also working against that. And I believe the devil still does that today. We are to persevere. We are to watch. We are to watch out for each other. It says, persevere and watching for all the saints. I think that's a really important part of being a part of a church, being a part of God's family, and a part of a local church. It just gives us that, that ability to fight together, to help lift each other up and encourage each other on. So with these thoughts, shall we kneel for prayer?